0: All right, Esther, chapter 4. We're going to read all of chapter 4, which sounds more intimidating than it really is. So take a moment and find Esther 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathach one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathig went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathik went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him.
1: Morning, we are in the book of Esther and I've been working with a Messianic Jewish scholarly friend of mine and his only date available was next Sunday. Purim is celebrated, I think it's on the 23rd or 24th in this year. So I wanted him to come out on the 20th of March, but he's only available this week because of all the Passover sermons that Christian churches want him to share as a Messianic Jew at all their churches. So he's going to be here next week. Now, some of you may be wondering, what is Purim? Purim is a Jewish celebratory festival, and this is exactly what they're celebrating is this freedom this deliverance from Haman who wanted to kill all of them. And so they celebrate this. Several years ago, well many years ago, we were in Israel during Purim. Was anyone on that trip? Roland? Roland. I remember Roland because he was partying like crazy with awesome Jewish people. On the street, it's just a wild wild party and it's so fun. And I remember we were there and there was a bunch of Orthodox Jewish men dancing in a huge circle with all of their garb and everything. And it's all guys, right? It's all guys. And so we're at Regeneration and we, um, are crazy. So we had a couple women, like, join in on this Orthodox Jewish men's circle. And I've never seen men run away from women that fast in my life. Like they just, ah, cooties, women woof. It was all split up. So we caused quite havoc on Ben Yehuda Street. So let's be respectful of our guest next week. Let's not dance wild in front of him. And I'm kidding. Rich is a great guy, and I look forward to him sharing with us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this book and for how you speak to us through all of your scriptures. And and we do ask, Lord, that you would bless our church as we look at these scriptures, and as Rich shares with us next week about the celebration of deliverance that you pulled your people through. And so, Lord, as we look at this, realizing that this is a historical book, considered historical amongst those of all monotheistic faiths but would you speak to us more than just giving us more knowledge about it but that it would be transformative for us in Jesus name amen like I said it's a historical book about real people here back in 479 BC and when we look at Esther and Mordecai we don't look at people that we would consider you know superheroes these were just kind of everyday people who are open to God working through them to do these incredible things So, I wonder how many of us have this posture towards God, just as everyday people looking for God to do incredible things through us, to allow God's will to work in us and through our life. And it's not because the greater will of God can be stopped. I mean, that's going to happen, because God is going to save his people, whether Esther chooses to help or not help. God is going to save his people. Now, Mordecai told Esther in chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. We see God's will, God's providence there. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And here Esther is given a free will choice. Given free choice. Individually, we all have choices in our lives to surrender to the will of God. Now, how many of us have that posture of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, where he says this, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. See, God is not looking to force us to serve him, his kingdom. He's looking for those who are willing, who are humble, surrendered, faithful to do his will. And I admit this is a really challenging proposition for those who don't have a relationship with God to understand. I suggest that here's the reason why our actions don't match up to what we believe. And the things that we look to bring us joy, peace, contentment, happiness, satisfaction. They're no different than what the world looks to. I have this excerpt from Mere Christianity. It's written by C.S. Lewis, and I find this quote really insightful. Reads this. The Christian says, Creatures are born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings and on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. That dude is brilliant. It's hard for the world to take our faith in Jesus seriously when our lives don't reflect any difference in the way we think or in our actions. Many of us know what's in the Bible. Many of us have read it, and at least we know how to read and we can figure these things out. We can look for the answers. We can address the questions that we have. That's not the challenging part at all. The challenging part is not the knowledge. The knowledge is easy. It's the actual living out our faith from what we already know. That's hard. That's challenging. So we look back at the story of Esther. This is about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. And we ended a couple of weeks ago in Esther chapter 3, verse 15 with this. The city of Susa was thrown into confusion. How much of the world is confused with what's going on? All of the injustice in our world, all of the inequity in our world. And while some of the church is taking responsibility for its part in the kingdom of God, how much of the church is silent? How much of the church is not doing anything? It's not doing much or anything to address the confusion of our world. Some churches are focused on knowing the word of God, but they are inactive in how they live out the gospel. While there are others who are totally into the social justice without going deeper into the richness of the scriptures. And it's not a balancing act. It's both. To go deeper into God's word while living it out. And it's not either or. It's a both and. And I think that what's confusing to those who don't have a relationship with God is this. Is that, you know, the church, it says it believes all these godly things, but what are you doing about the justice issues around you? And it just sees people going in and out of church on Sundays, but not much more. Or they're confused because of this. You're doing a lot of stuff about the justice around you, but then what's the difference between you and what some other secular nonprofit is doing? What's the difference? And so it all looks the same from an outsider's perspective, and it just kind of dilutes the gospel. So we see that there's this confusion. So what we have here in chapter 4 is both and. It's not either or. It's not a balancing act. It's both and. It's the integration of God's will and the responsible action of those who humbly accept the call of God who faithfully surrender their life to allow themselves to choose to serve God and his kingdom. So let's dive into it, verses 1 through 3. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. So this was a public display, demonstration of grief and lament and mourning. And we must consider if Mordecai took some personal responsibility for this genocide that was declared. We have to think about this because back in chapter three, verses two through five, we can trace this decree back to Mordecai's refusal to pay homage, to bow down to Haman, And that served as this catalyst to this announced genocide. How many of us can look back to our choices that we made and think, man, what did I do? What did I just do? Why didn't I think my actions through? Why was I so impulsive? Why did I do the things that I did? And I wonder if Mordecai thought this because bowing down to an authority figure, paying homage to an authority figure, this is not an out of the ordinary thing for Jewish people to do. This was a sign of respect. It wasn't worship of a false idol or anything like that. You know, people before Mordecai did this. This is common. This is commonplace for this sort of thing to happen. So I kind of wonder if Mordecai thought, what if I didn't do that? What if I just bowed down to Haman? What if I just paid homage to him? Then this wouldn't happen to us. But he didn't, and it kind of helped create this mess. How many of us feel this way or have felt this way, that we have regret in the decisions that we've made? And we just kind of wonder, man, what if I didn't do that? And you look at Mordecai. He tears his clothes off. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. He cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate Because if he went any further, there would have been a lot of trouble going in with sackcloth and lament and things like that. The king doesn't like that sort of thing. And so I wonder, it's just conjecture. If he thought, he stopped at the king's gate and he said, you know what? If I just go through the king's gate, maybe these guys will just kill me. Just kill me. I made a stupid mistake. I should have just done those things. I don't know what held me back. Because it was his actions that helped trigger the decision for this prospective Holocaust. And he's really bummed out because his choices were really costly. They were really regretful. And maybe this is you. Maybe not to this extent, but you know, you made a mistake. And maybe it's a huge mistake. A mistake that has put your company at risk, or your family at risk, or your friendships at risk. Or your faith at risk. But know this, that you're not beyond the redemption of God, even though you've made poor choices. But you need to repent. We can only control our own actions, and while we sometimes make poor choices, we surely can't control the actions of others. And so we have to surrender the outcomes to God, knowing that our decisions, they carry consequences. The choices that we make carry consequences. And although I want to encourage you that, we're not beyond the deliverance and rescue of God, I also have to give you the other side of it. That your heart has to soften towards God, that your heart has to repent towards God. You don't keep the same hardened heart and expect changes just by God when you're not changing at all. Now this morning was found to happen in every province. The decree reached with fasting, weeping, lamenting, and with the laying in sackcloth and ashes. And so you can see that this was a really desperate time for God's people. And I wonder how many followers of Jesus have ever felt this desperate, have ever cared this much about the people that are affected, have ever taken responsibility for the actions or inactivity of what's happened around us. Do we feel any brokenness for the world around us. John chapter 16, verse 33 reads this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do we know this, that we will have tribulation? Do we know this, that we're not exempt from this? Or are we just kind of sweeping it under the rug or ignoring it, pretending that it's not there, we're not dealing with it, and this is something that we just can't do. We must take heart and embrace, own the fact that Jesus overcame the world and we are part of that solution. To overcome with Jesus. So you see how we're to actively participate. It's not some passive exercise. We don't just let things happen. We participate. We live out grace that he's given to us. And we notice that this tragedy is actually what pulls Queen Esther into this injustice because she's not even mentioned in all of chapter 3, because she's just busy living the luxurious life as a queen. She's just kind of in her bubble. She has no pulse of what's going around her, of what's going out in the streets. She's just totally comfortable in her insulated bubble. How many of our churches are like this? We're just in our own bubble. We're just in the comforts of our own bubble. How many of us people are like this? You have your homes, you have your money, you have everything you need, your food and your shelter, and you're just kind of shielded from the tragedies of society when there's so much injustice, there's so much inequity all around us, and perhaps God is pulling you out of your comfortable bubble to help you experience the pain that is present around us, and he's pulling you through by showing you the injustices and inequities of the world. Part of the reason why we have these faith and justice conversations, every second Wednesday of the month we have these conversations, is to pull you in, is to invite you in to join us in revealing these injustice issues and revealing these inequity issues. And so February 10th, as Pastor Steve mentioned, we're going to enter into this justice issue of immigration. will you be courageous enough to enter into that conversation? Will you step out of Wall Street and into Main Street? Because it's time to embrace our identity as a follower of Jesus and not to hide behind the facades of comfort and convenience and church anymore. It's time to step out of those things to claim our own place in the kingdom of God. And this is what happened with Esther. There was no more hiding behind her crown. There was no more hiding beyond the palace. That it was time to come out as a follower of God. And to take action, to do something about it. And sometimes those who are too comfortable are the last to know that anything's wrong outside of their own church or their own home. So you see how we need people around us to inform us of what's happening. And often it's not the Christian voice that informs us, is it? God uses people and not just those who acknowledge Him as God to inform us about the injustice around us. Now look at verse 4. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. I find this verse very interesting because how many of us, we attempt to help. We attempt to help but we help in all the wrong ways. How many of us think that we know how to help when we haven't even learned how to help? And so this was Esther's initial attempt to help the situation. What she do? She sent garments to her cousin Mordecai rather than finding out, learning, hey, what's going on? Verse 5, Then Esther called Hathach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was, and why it was. So important. So important for us to humble ourselves and to learn, to listen. So important for us to learn the history and the anthropology to the justice issues that are all around us before we do justice and we love mercy. To learn what this was and why it was. And as a follower of Jesus, we have so much to learn. Oftentimes we as church enter into justice situations. We enter in with just really, really good hearts, but we're not that much help. We don't help that much, and we give a lot of money towards things, but it doesn't help all that much. We come with garments when that's not what the people really needed. We really need to look into what the real issues are, learn about them, and learn why they exist. Otherwise, we risk just giving out garments and we miss the point. Well intended, good-hearted, no help. Now, how does this happen? We're not learning. We're not in the trenches learning. We just kind of do things from afar. We're not getting our hands dirty. We're just kind of sending money, but we're not kind of learning what's going on and so what we do is ineffective because we don't know what's really happening on the ground how do we understand how do we learn what we need to do we need to humble ourselves and we need to learn what's going on and why these things have happened but when we're tucked away into the comforts of our own homes offices schools churches this isn't made possible until we step out of those insulated safety areas Until we step out of these places, out of the king's gates where those structures are for us, whatever those structures are, otherwise we remain clueless and ineffective in whatever attempts that we are trying to make, using up a lot of resources like garments, but we're not making any impact. Now, not all of this is bad because this is actually what wakes her up to the fact that she's not helping, is that she made this mistake of sending out garments and then he's not taking them. Now she's like, why? Why? So sometimes, you know, God can use these things to pull us in. I know you guys have dedicated a lot of energy and effort and all these resources, but this is a way to actually show you that that's not working. But this is the thing that we need to be aware of to stop doing what we find is not helping and to humble ourselves and to learn, to learn from people. And it's not always the Christian church that has all the answers as to the inequity and injustices that people are suffering from. Now, verses 6 through 9, Hathach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathach went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Notice that it was virtually impossible for Mordecai to inform Esther of what was really going on because how was this guy going to let the queen know anything? That it was Esther, the one who was insulated and protected behind the throne and living in luxury. She was the one that had to reach out. Isn't this the task of the church? Isn't this our task? How many times does a people group who doesn't know Jesus reach out to the church to ask the church to help them in knowing Jesus? How many times has that happened in your life? Never for me. Never. It's rare if ever the responsibility to spread the good news of Jesus is on the church. It's on the church. We need to be proactive about this. It's extremely rare for those problems of the world to come to us. We have to go to them. We're the ones that have. And here's the thing. We can't hide who we really are if we are to be used by God to do extraordinary things. You notice this in verse 8. Command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Because until this point, the king has no clue who she is. There's no more hiding. But Esther had some serious doubts about this. Look at verses 10 and 11. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these thirty days. Do any of you guys remember different strokes? It was such an awesome show, and what Arnold used to say, like, "What you talking about, Willis?" Or he used to do the face thing before he did. This is what Esther's saying to Mordecai, he's "Like, what you talking about, Mordecai?" Because this is way easier said than done. Like, what? What are you asking me to do? And oftentimes, these are people in the church when a step of faith is required. We're just like, what? that those in the leadership are asking us to do what? The the pastor is asking us to do what? Like, what are you talking about? See, Esther's just not too sure of this plan. How many of us have doubts about the will of God and what he is asking us to do, what he's instructing us to do? Sometimes we question the plans of God and, and there's really good reason for that. Esther has really good reason to question because if she goes into the king's inner court without permission, she, even as a queen, will be killed. And so some of us have our doubts as to to what to do in accordance to the will of God. And sometimes those choices, they involve great sacrifice. Sacrifices of relationships. Sacrifices of career or provision or family. And sometimes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, logical or reasonable sense, as to what God is calling us to. But He is. Even at the risk of relationship. Even at the risk of of provision at the risk of career and all these other things. Now, thank God for his patience and his grace that as we struggle, we don't have a God that just gives up on us, that he's consistently there, that he's long-suffering, and he walks with us in our struggles, in our doubts, in our rebellion. And you notice how different our king is in comparison to King Ahasuerus. Our king doesn't sit behind a throne. Our king came down from the throne of God, from heaven, down to earth, to be amongst us, clothed in humanity. Not in royalty, not in nobility, but amongst the common people. He doesn't exclude anyone here. He said in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.'" Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If any of us labor and are heavy laden, we are perfect candidates to approach King Jesus, to receive rest, to learn from him. He has an open door policy. It's great. You won't be put to death by approaching him. And you look at his track record where we have sinners and lepers and prostitutes, a hemorrhaging woman, demon-possessed, tax collectors, criminals, zealots, Gentiles, traitors, all these people, have any of them been turned away by Jesus? No one. And once we come to Jesus, some things need to change. We need to repent. And will we change as we desire to be in the presence of Jesus, and sometimes people go the other way, saying that they are followers of Jesus, but yet they're not living like it. And this happens in any relationship, doesn't it? That if you start drifting away, that relationship starts to break. And many people are open to having new friends. But there are some things in friendship that change if two people are to remain friends you wouldn't steal from one another. You wouldn't lie to one another. You wouldn't disrespect one another. You would talk with one another, hang out with one another, respect what each one is asking of you. You would reveal your heart, and it's similar with God, that anyone can approach God, but not everyone wants to put into the effort that relationship with God. Now what happens To a friendship, when you stop putting in the effort, when you stop respecting one another and what each other is asking of one another, and we've all experienced this, it just kind of weakens and it fades, and it's no longer. But it's not that it's God who desires the separation. That's not who he is. He desires for our relationship with him to thrive, to flourish, to work with you in this world, to do his will and to live with everlasting purpose. But some of us continue to decide to rebel, continue to decide to live not according to his will. Verses 12 through 14, and they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So Esther, she has her doubts, but Mordecai helped her overcome them. That even though she was in the king's palace, it didn't mean she was safe from the things that were to come. That whether she was going to step up for those who needed her to, it wasn't dependent on her. See, ultimately, our safety is found in God. Our relief, our deliverance is ultimately found in God. Even though God is not mentioned, we know He's at work here. He's providing these things. God will not be dependent on our actions or our inactions. It's the other way around. We rely on God. God does not rely on us. And we see... Here, that Mordecai believed it was Esther who was to step up into this role to save her people. But if she didn't, if she was disobedient to this call, it didn't mean that the Jews would perish because God is not reliant on us to fulfill his purposes and his will. God keeps his promises and his plans will come to pass. Our part is to be obedient to step up to his call when he presents his will before us. Oftentimes we question the will of God because we simply don't know the will of God for every situation that presents itself to us. Many of us have the same question as Mordecai in that we ask, who knows? Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And at times the will of God is really clear and we know it, but I think that most of the time we're like Esther and Mordecai, like who knows? knows? Now some of us have experienced God's gift like prophecy. like He's given us the gift of prophecy or he's given us the word of knowledge or he's given us discernment or all these different spiritual gifts and we've also seen these gifts claimed to be exercised by people when they're flat out wrong. And we all know that guy, don't we? You know that guy? The guy who claims that something is the will of God when it really isn't the will of God? Like a I don't know how many of these guys I've met. I've met quite a few. I've met several of the guys that said, God told me that I was going to marry that girl. Wow. And then the girl saying, like, no, he didn't. (laughs) No, he didn't. He did not tell you that. I know. Right? But many times we don't know the will of God. And you look at all the characters in the Bible, people like Joseph, right? People like Joseph, did he know the will of God? Did he know the purposes that God had for him while he was being sold into slavery? While he was wrongfully imprisoned? And if someone asked him what God was doing with him, he'd be like, I don't know. I'm in a jail cell that I was wrongly imprisoned. I'm on a slave block being sold into slavery. I I don't think he would have answered, yeah, I totally know God's will and purpose for me. I'm supposed to save the Jews from famine while he's locked up. He has no clue. God's will is for me to be the second most powerful person in all of Egyptian society while he's in chains. We just don't know these things. And that's how life is a lot of time. We don't know what God is up to until we go through it with him and then we look back. When we get an opportunity to look back and we see how he was working in our life while we made good and not so good decisions, because Joseph made some good and not so good choices. Telling your older brothers that they're going to bow before you, not a good decision. That's not. That's not a smart thing to do, but probably not the best choice. Not sleeping with Potiphar's wife, good decision. Good decision. Even though you get wrongfully imprisoned, good decision. And through Joseph's series of good choices and not so good choices, yet God is in control the whole time. God is in control the whole time. And Joseph said this in Genesis 50 verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And so here Esther is going through the same thing made some good choices, made some not-so-good choices, yet God is in control of the whole thing, and we're given these opportunities to live and act out according to his will. We can choose to be a part of what God is doing or not, but his purposes will still be fulfilled with or without us. So you and I can choose whether or not we are going to forgive someone or to love someone, to pray for someone, to bless someone, to repent of our sin. We have God-honoring choices to make, and we're given these opportunities all the time. What are the opportunities God has given to you to live out his will? You all have decisions to make. We all have decisions to make. And the opportunities we're given, they're not always this dramatic, right? I mean, they're just organic, everyday situations of life, but they do have everlasting impact. Like sharing the gospel with someone. Now you think about Esther. She's been on her throne for five to six years now. And so for five to six of those years, it was just kind of like these everyday opportunities, just irregular regular stuff. And it wasn't until five to six years later that this choice becomes actually a dramatic one. And this is just kind of the cadence of life. Now thank God that our lives aren't filled with this much intensity. I mean, our lives are stressed enough, right? Like, thank God it's not like this all the time. Now, here was an opportunity for Esther to seek the will of God, a really important choice needed to be made, verse 15. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. So here, you know, Esther's all in. She has decided, she has chosen, but even through all that, she realizes she can't do it on her own. She needed the support of her community of believers to join her in this. Esther was going to be the one to do the physical work, but she needed the support of her spiritual community to do the spiritual work. And this wasn't going to be done just all on her own. Now you notice that she fully surrenders in verse 16. She says, if I perish, I perish. She's totally sold out here. She's all in. And there's a piece about deciding, isn't there? That you make a decision. That once we've reached a point where we've decided to follow Jesus, that we've chosen to fully surrender to his will, reach the point of declaring, you know, if I perish, I perish for him. Because from that point, there's nothing left to do. You're done. Right? You're, you're fully in. But to truly live in his presence, that you've just totally died to yourself. Now, what's better than living in the presence of God? Because everything else in life just kind of goes. It, it's fleeting. Now, where do you find yourself this morning? What are the circumstances surrounding your life right now? And there are some things to ask of yourself, like Why? why are you at the place in life that you're at? And maybe God is calling you to something. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know where the best place to serve God is? Exactly where you're at. It's not when you get that job or when you get that education or when you get these things lined up or it's right where you're at. What good works are before you right now? What things do you need to do right now? Will you choose to walk in them? The opportunities are right before us today, right now. It's not after you do such and such or get out of such and such, or, or make your financial situation better, or move out of your current living situation, or whatever that may be. It's just right now. What are the things that you need to do right now? In your current circumstances. See, our divine opportunities can be found today. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. But it's not the kingdom of Ahasuerus or any other earthly king. We enter the realm of the kingdom of God. So why are you where you're at? Dealing with the things that you're dealing with, and we have choices to make. And the best and the wisest choice will only be made by going to King Jesus and asking him. Let me close with this. We all have problems. We all have choices to make in those problems. But there's a decree that is against all of us. Just like there was a decree against the Jews back then. There's a decree against all of us that sin has separated us from God. And there is a death sentence for all of us just as there were for the Jews back then. That death is knocking at the door to keep us eternally separated from God. But Jesus steps in to give us this option to be eternally accepted by God. And Jesus chooses to say yes. He steps into this and he says yes. And he does it. Just like in the role of Esther. He steps into this and he says yes. Nothing can stop that. Nothing can stop saving us. That's God's sovereign plan. But now, each one of us individually, we have to decide. We have to choose whether we accept Jesus' invitation into God's kingdom or to refuse it. We have to choose whether to serve him or not to serve him, to be obedient to him or not to be obedient to him. We have all these choices to make now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for individuals in our church. I know that there have been folks that have had challenges, that we have all these problems in our life and sometimes we make good choices and sometimes we make bad choices and we live with these. But from this point, what do we do? And so we ask, Lord, that you would empower, that you encourage our folks to do what's right. What's right in terms of, Lord, the injustice and the inequity issues that we see around us, how do you want us to enter those things? For those of us who have to make decisions about just the sin that's in our life, things that we need to repent of, the life changes that we need to make within ourselves, Lord, would you empower and encourage those folks to step forward, Lord, to commit themselves to you and to stop weakening their relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.